We're starting a new series today on marriage, and we're calling it From This Day Forward. And uh, I'm glad that you're here. We had a great crowd the first hour, and uh, we learned a lot of things, and hopefully we can, uh, can share those things again today. But I want to say this up front because I know there are some of you who are here alone. Uh, maybe you're not married. Uh, you may be widowed, uh, divorced, uh, never married, whatever it may be. And what I'm going to ask you to do is not check out, not check out, because we're going to share some principles, but I will tell you that they are relationship principles, and they will work anywhere and everywhere. They just are, are maybe more necessary in marriage. Not only that, but also we need to support marriage. Marriage has gotten kind of a black eye in the last few years, and uh, we need to support that. It is the foundation of our culture and community, and so uh, even though you may not be currently married... Uh, we need to make sure that we have strong marriages, and every now and then we just take some time uh, to talk about that and to, to beef them up and make them stronger. And not only that, thirdly, who knows? One day you might get married, and you say, well, I'm too old to get married. No, no such thing. I know of a, a couple just recently, uh, probably never thought they would end up getting married, but in their 70s got married. I know of people getting married in their 80s. I'm confident they do in their 90s. So it's never too late. You know, God may bring that someone in your life a very unexpected time. You just never know. So be ready. Be prepared. And that's kind of what we're going to be doing uh, through this series. We're going to talk to people who are married and those who aren't married and, uh, and try to talk about some really basic principles. Also, one other thing. Don't check out if you are in what you feel like is a loveless marriage. A marriage that you, know, you don't feel like is going anywhere. It just is what it is. You're just, you know, you kind of accepted that. Don't give up. It is possible that it could get better. God can raise the dead. God can heal things. He can make things better that aren't so great. So I just want to give everybody, regardless of where, in your, uh, where you are in your life, some tools to encourage you and help you and lift the value of marriage. And we're going to talk today <clears throat> about one principle, but the next five weeks, five commitments that I believe will improve, perhaps save or maybe literally fail-proof your marriage, but only if we keep them, you know, only if we actually respond to them. And so I hope that you'll make a commitment to say, I want to be here, and I want to I learn about these, and I want to develop these, I want to have a conversation with my spouse about these, and hopefully it will make it a lot stronger. You know, most people are, are thinking about marriage still, and most of us dream about having the perfect wedding, I think women do more than, than guys, but a perfect wedding to the perfect person and then having the perfect life. That's the dream. But the question is, are you still dreaming that? Are you still dreaming? And for a lot of people, it's more like dream on, you know, rather than dreaming it's going to happen. It's like dream on. It's not likely going to happen in your life. And, and we all know, you know, that marriage isn't all that you feel like it should be or could be. There's a lot of expectations in marriage that never really happen, that never come true. There's all sorts of letdowns and disappointments and hurt and pain and anger and much more than that. Some of you who aren't married are going, wow, that sounds really fun getting into. Uh, but it's just the reality of it, you know. Life, life is like that when you get into the nuts and bolts of, of living and the daily grind. And maybe you're here uh, in, in a marriage that is not the best. Maybe you're wounded. Maybe you've been through a lot and you wonder is it even possible to have a happy or a great marriage? And the answer, I believe, is yes. I really believe that, but not if we do the same thing that everybody else does and we have the same attitudes about marriage that they have. I will tell you that statistics prove that the happiest people in life are Christian people 
who are in a biblical marriage and involved in a church community. Those are the happiest people in life. So if you want to be happy, find joy. Those are some things that you need to check the boxes on, all right? But you know what? Let me just say also that there are many Christians who are not happily married. I know that to be true. Not just being a Christian or married, but those who are using biblical principles to guide their marriage. That is what brings greatness into marriage. So we all go into marriage with a lot of hope and enthusiasm, a lot of joy and excitement, but oftentimes that turns to regret and worse. And let me just say also that in our day and age, a lot of people just avoid getting married at all. They just live together. I want to say, having seen that on a lot of different levels, I can tell you that is not a good option. Not a good option, not a good idea, and, uh, and it's not going to probably end that great if you choose to do that. So uh, let's lift marriage up. Let's focus on that. And I think it all basically comes back to being prepared and informed and ready and educated about what marriage should be. Now, today, in our world especially, people invest a great deal of money and time and effort into the wedding. Maybe I know people who plan for a year, which, by the way, is a little too long, in my opinion, just observing that. Planning for a year for a wedding, that's a lot. A lot of money into the wedding, that is too much. I talked to a guy the other day, casually said they dropped $98,000 on their daughter's wedding. That's insane. You could buy a house, some house for that, right? We put too much into the wedding, but not much investment into the marriage. Not much into that. How much time effort and money do you invest in the actual marriage rather than just the wedding? And how many people get really valuable premarital counseling so you kind of know what you're going into to start with? You know, I think today it's very easy to get married. In fact, anybody can get a marriage license today. If you walk down to the courthouse, have $35 in 10 minutes, you can get yourself a marriage license. Now, contrast that with a driver's license. I know they're not identical, but I mean, just think for a moment. A driver's license today, if you haven't done that, the process is pretty complex. You have to get a written test to even get a learner permit. To even start, you have to study to learn how to drive. And then you have to, uh, once you get your learner's permit, you have to practice for six months with at least 60 hours of supervised driving time. And then you have to pass a driving test, a literal test, to get this temporary or intermediate license and then wait six months and take a certified driver's education course. And if you pass everything and don't have too many accidents in that time, then you get your driver's license. You have to do all that just to drive a car, which is important, and you can hurt yourself and others with a car, right? But you know what? We let anybody walk in with no preparation, get a marriage license for 35 bucks that may wreck at least two lives and maybe a lot more than that. No plan, no education, just go do it. Now, I'm certainly not saying you shouldn't get married, but I'm saying that I think we need some education. We need to invest in that. We need some tools to help us make the most of this very important relationship that we're either in or we want to be in. And we need marriage to also get back to what God intended for it to be, a covenant relationship between a man and a woman and God. That's what God intended. And maybe the reason why marriage is so devalued today is that we've totally lost the concept of what marriage really is. And we've redefined that in too many ways, ridiculous, that we won't go into now, 
Because we're going to talk about what God's plan is for the marriage. We don't need to know all the counterfeits. Just know the genuine thing, the real thing. So if you aren't married yet or you plan to be or hope to be, I pray that you're going to look at things a little bit differently than the majority of other people do today, the world does, and I pray you go at it a little bit differently. Now, granted, weddings today are very different, and I guess it's okay to get married in a barn instead of a church. I assume that's all right. In my day, our day, it was always a church, but now a barn seems to be the the chosen place. I guess it's okay, but if you do that, please get married by a pastor who will make sure that you're having a Christian wedding. Make, we're, not, we're not doing a legal agreement here. We're making a spiritual covenant with the holy God, and you're asking God to bless us and give us the kind of marriage that we want. And honestly, you're not going to get that with somebody who gets their marriage license off the internet or somebody that was just elected maybe some way to an office of some sort, and they go and do your wedding. You're not necessarily going to get a Christian wedding. And by the way, if you do have a Christian wedding... Uh, you're going to say something like this in your vows. That's what we said. I, Randy, take you, Lori, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. That was 38 and a half years ago, I believe, but I still got it down, all right? But we end that by saying, or that statement by saying, from this day forward. And I like that phrase a lot because it has so much hope in it, so much hope. It can say, you know what? We messed up in dating, but from this day forward, it's going to be different. Or we messed up in our marriage, but we're going to draw a line, and from this day forward, we're going to do our best to do it different. We messed up, but we're going to do better. And that that would be my challenge to you in this series, is that wherever you are in life, and however many years it's been since you said those words, that you might say today, from this day forward, we're going to do better. We're going to change some things going forward. In fact, I think if we lived our entire life by that phrase, we would be a lot better off, all of us, regardless of your marital status. If you just said, from this day forward, it's going to be different. I'm going to live my life differently. Now, that's what we said in the vow. But do you remember what comes next in the vows? Remember those words that we said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, we will forsake all others and be faithful to you alone as long as we both shall live. So help me God. Now today, it's very popular, and I don't discourage people, but it's very popular to write your own vows. And, and what I've discovered is when people write their own vows, they're, they're cute and they're personal, all right, but most of the time they don't have the same weight of commitment. Most write your own vows don't have that kind of that, that kind of commitment, that, that serious weight of commitment there. And by the way, that last phrase in the old vows, so help me God, is pretty important too. Because we're not just saying, hey, this is something I'm mentioning today. I'm putting God in this. We need God to help us, and we need our marriages to honor God as well. So I li- I'm a pretty big advocate for the old vows. They're not perfect, obviously, but, but maybe we say them, and then we go something personal as well. But today we're going to begin a study in talking about the commitment that we're making, that we made when we were married, but also we're going to challenge us to recommit to our marriages, recommit to marriage as a culture, and recommit or commit to what marriage might look like for us. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at five of those commitments. Number one, seek God. Number two, fight fair, because every marriage, you're going to have some fights probably. Number three, have fun. Number four, stay pure. And five, never give up. 
never give up. So those are the five commitments, nothing too complicated, very simple, but I think they will make a difference. And today, we're going to talk about the first one, which is seeking God, seeking God. And by the way, let me say this, that if you're not married or anything, these five things, these principles, as you can see from the first one, are very basic. We want to seek God. And that's what we ought to be doing all the time, and especially, I guess, in our discussion in marriage. But the problem today is that a lot of people are not really seeking God. A lot of people, if they're single, they're seeking a spouse. They're looking for that one person that's perfect for them. And when they find that person, they say to themselves, or maybe to somebody else, I think I've found the one. I think I've found the one. As if, and I don't know, as if there were only one person in the entire world that would be perfect for you. We think there's only one, and we think we found. But the problem here is very basic, and that is that another person is never going to be the one. One person, another person is never going to be the one that's going to do everything for you. Here's the principle. God is your one, and your spouse is your two. God is one, spouse is two, and then you come third uh, in, in the case. If kids come along, as yes, you come fourth. But in the marriage, God is one and your spouse is two. So you're looking for your two because you've already found your one. You know, Jesus said this pretty clearly. When, when Jesus was asked one time, what's the most important commandment? He didn't say, love your spouse with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So God has to be number one and your spouse has to be number two. Now, if you're not married, here's the challenge. It's real simple. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I'm going to seek the one while I'm looking for my other person, my two. In fact, the goal of every life should be to seek God, to honor God, to know God, and to please God. And if you can't search for a mate and do all those things for God, you're searching in the wrong place. If you can't honor God in the place you're looking for somebody else, then you're not going to find a person that will honor God and that you should marry. If you can't date someone and do all those things, you're dating the wrong person. That might be a signal to you that you're dating the wrong person. If you can't honor God in your dating life, you're probably dating the wrong person. We need to seek God first, and God will bring the right person into our lives at the right time if it is His will. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said a basic principle, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. By the way, and this is hard to hear for some, but if you're seeking God's will for a spouse, and you're waiting on God, and you're waiting on God, and God doesn't provide one, that may be his answer. That may be the answer that God's given you, not what you want to hear, but it may be the answer. Paul says, I wish that we all you know, were single and devoted to God. We gave all of our life to Him. Maybe that's what God's calling you to. Because one thing is sure, there's something worse than not being married, and that's being married to the wrong person. And a lot of people have discovered that to be true. So seek God and prepare for the person God may bring in your life. Prepare for the two, but seek the one. Instead of looking for the perfect Christian spouse, commit yourself to be the kind of person you're looking for. And then wait for God to bring that person into your life. Because if you're not prepared for that person and you're not living the life that God wants you to live, then you may not even be attracted to the person 
that you're interested in. Andy Stanley tells a story of the Christian girl, grew up in a Christian home, went off to college, and then started partying with every guy, guy after guy. In the back of her mind, she thought she would find this Christian guy, and, and, and then she would have a godly marriage. And finally, she si- finds the guy. She meets a guy that's everything she thinks that he should be. She told her mom about him. He's godly. He's committed to Christ. He disciples people, invests in people, and that she's going to go after him. And her mom lovingly said to her, sweetheart, you need to know that a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. That's a lot of truth, isn't it? It's a hard statement to make. But here's the thing. If you want to have a godly marriage someday, you have a godly life today. If you want to have a godly marriage someday, have a godly life today. Become the kind of person that you would like to marry. Seek the one while you're preparing for your two. Now, to those of us who are married, the commitment is like this. I will seek the one with my two. I will seek the one with my two. We're going to seek God with our spouse because our marriages will never, ever be what we want them to be and what God wants them to be until God is first and our spouse is second. You cannot assume that your spouse is going to be everything to you, everything. And you, you know what? Later on when the kids come along, the kids are not going to be everything to you. What we discovered is those kids are awesome, but they grow up and they leave you, and then they're gone, and then you, you and your spouse together. So not only do your spouse not going to be everything, but your kids aren't going to be everything either. And what happens is when we put our, our spouse first or our kids first, we idolize them. We idolize them. We put them before God. And then later on when they fail us, we demonize them. We demonize them because they just aren't meeting my needs. I thought they would be everything, but they're not meeting my needs. I'm not in love with them anymore. It's not in love anymore. They're not the same person I married which would be 100% correct because neither are you. You're not the same person that, you, that your, your spouse married either, and they're not the same either. People change over time. But here's the thing. If we seek God together, you will continue to grow together and at the same pace, which will draw you closer together. If you don't seek God, you're going to seek something. And many times, what do people do? They go in opposite directions because they don't have anything in common. They're not seeking God together. Well, I love that little analogy. It works in my mind where you start here, your spouse is here, God's here. You move toward God and you get closer together. You draw together in God. So you seek God and seek the one with your two. Now, how do we seek God with our spouse? How do we do that? Really simple. It's not rocket science. Some really simple things. First of all, you need to pray together. You need to pray together. Every good relationship starts with communication. And prayer is the way that we communicate with God, and prayer together may just be the most important thing that you can do together as a couple. Holding hands, praying together is one of the most bonding things you can do as a couple. It really is. Why? Because it's hard to fight or or demonize your spouse if you're praying for them. I mean, it's really, I guess you could do that, but be kind of schizophrenic if you're praying for them, you're demonizing them at the same time. It's also hard to... uh, to look at porn or have an affair when you're praying for your spouse at the same time. It's hard to think about divorce if you're praying with someone. If you're married to a non-Christian, ask them to pray with you. And if they won't pray with you, then start praying for them and let them know you're praying for them. Don't bore them to death, but just, just tell them you're going to be doing that. If you are dating someone, make sure you can pray with that other person or else you will not be able to pray with them after marriage. One of the biggest mistakes that people believe 
uh, women especially, is that you're going to change this person. You're going to make them what you want them to be after you get married. And really, basically, if they have no interest in God before, they're not likely to afterwards. So that might be a litmus test to say, does this person know the Lord? Are they seeking God? It definitely ought to be. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked, and there's nothing more yoking together than marriage, right? So pray together as a couple. Secondly, share God's Word. This may be together, or maybe it's talking about what you're learning or what you've read together. Not only do we learn about God, we learn about His promises, we learn what God wants from us, we also learn how to have a Christian marriage. There is no better marriage guidebook or counseling book than the Bible. It tells us everything we need to know about marriage. Number three, worship together. Worship together. I want to tell you, this time of staying home is doing a lot of spiritual damage, not only to individuals, but to marriages. It's pretty obvious that uh, divorce rate is going up over the last few months. Conflict is up. Addiction, alcohol, a lot of things are up in this time. And one of the, the bad things, it's got a lot of people out of the habit of going to church together and worshiping together. And uh, every now and then I'll talk to somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, I, you guys listen online? Oh, yeah, my wife does. I mean, we, wa- we listen together online. I'm like, no, kind of spilled the beans right there up front. Maybe one person is, but it's not that coming together and setting down and worshiping together. And so I would challenge you that you need to recommit to worshiping as a couple or a family. For those who are at home and can come out, it might be to get back to in-person church to sitting there beside that person, learning about God, seeking God, and worshiping together. Number four, giving and serving together. Giving and serving together. Lori and I love to see how God can bless our finances as we give faithfully to Him first. In fact, we always encourage, remind each other to tithe from everything that we have. If I make something and sell it, she'll talk about, so you need, where are you going to tithe that at? And we talk about that. It reminds us that we're just stewards of what God has entrusted us with. We know that we have all that we have because God's given it to us. We are blessed in that way. It reminds us who we serve, who we worship together. We're on the same team, and we're teaming with God and working with God. And when we serve together, it's a bonding experience. The times that we do things together for other people, serve the Lord, it's very connecting, and she is very much a part of my ministry. Number five, share Christian community. Share Christian community. The body of Christ is our family. You know, uh, of course, obviously, Lori and I have been a part of a church all of our marriage, in the ministry, of course, but very involved and connected. But for many, many years, we have been a part of a journey group that's made up of other believers, married couples like us and of singles. We have people in our group who are single. We have people who come alone, and that's fine. We have couples that come together. But what we find is that when we come together and share, we are with people who are on the same path as we are. And that's encouraging to us, and, and we can support one another. If we have challenges in our life, some of the first people we would talk to would be the people that are close friends of ours, because we know them through our group and through our connection. Some of our best friends are the people that we've shared hours of study with and prayer and laughter together. In fact, that's why we're offering a small group study component to this series. Um, we mentioned this last week, I know, but you can be a part of a, of a group. And Tony, you can get online, uh, you can email him, but also you can get online on our website and go to the uh, Move U, Move University, and you can find a place to sign up for a group. And you need to do that today, uh, and we'll, we'll try to get you connected because we have some new groups that we've started. 
Uh, we've also got some existing groups are going to be doing this study as well. But we want you to do that, please. That would be a way to get some conversation, build some friendships, and build some community. Now, these are all simple ways to make your marriage a little bit better. Not only better, but also last, but also to make it more enjoyable. More enjoyable. Family Life did a study a while back, and they discovered that less than 8% of Christian couples pray together regularly. But of those that did, fewer than 1% divorced. Fewer than 1%. So in a time when sometimes we say 50% of marriages end in divorce, you could improve your odds up to 99% with just prayer. Just adding prayer would, would give you 99% odds. That's, that's pretty good. That's a simple thing that you can do. But I would encourage you to have a conversation about these things. Now, you may be saying, well, Randy, we don't do any of those things, and we're pretty disconnected. Here's my suggestion. How about you start them from this day forward? That's what the series is really all about. We can't talk about the past. We can't change the past. How about we leave the past, and we talk about from this day forward? What is tomorrow going to be like? Have a serious conversation with your spouse on the way home or this afternoon and, and suggest, let's start these things. And say, you know, what could it hurt, really? What could it hurt? You say, we don't even like each other right now. We're not even speaking right now. We're not, we don't want to be in the same room. Well, you really need a new start from this day forward. So I would encourage you to make that to be a priority. And just ask, what would your life be like? How would your marriage change if you recommitted yourself to seeking God first right now? What would that look like in your life? And how would it change you? And guys, I want to tell you, putting aside the marriage topic a, a, a little bit, with all that's going on in our world today, I mean, the virus, the election, all the noise, it really is time for us to stop and just remember what's important in life. And what's the most important thing in life is seeking God first. Seeking God first. Regardless of your relational status, you need to seek God first. Because until that happens, you're not going to be able to make anything else work. Nothing else. It is the big rock you have to put in first. And if you are involved with someone, whether you're dating or married, I pray that you'll begin today, from this day forward, to, to seek the one with your two. Now, to wrap us up this, this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want to ask if you would just would close your eyes, because I, I think we need a time of, of recommitment here. And I'm going to say that if you are a Christian, and you realize that you've not been seeking God first. And you have to admit, not in your daily life or not in your marriage or maybe a lot of other ways either, I'm going to challenge you to recommit to Christ, to recommit to Him, to seek God first. Remember, it's from this day forward. Don't beat yourself up. Don't look back. It's all behind you, but, but look forward, look ahead. And let me just say, you can only do that if you know that your past is forgiven. You can only put the past in the past if you know that God is going to forgive that. And you can, that can only happen through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way that our past can truly be behind us. Now, if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you to recommit yourself today, outside of marriage, just personally, to seek God first. And if you're here and you've not made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, then I would love to help you walk through that simple process. I would love to talk to you through that. Because I want to tell you, Jesus can change the whole trajectory of your life. He can give you hope and direction from this day forward. And that's all we can really do is go forward. That would be my prayer. Let's pray together. Father, 
I want to come today and I want to pray for each person who's in this room and for all those who are watching us online. Father, you know our hearts, you know where we are, you know our brokenness, you know our failures, you know our success. God, you know right where we are at this moment. My prayer, Father, is that you would give your blessing and your spirit to those who would invite you in. And that, Lord, every one of us would seek you first above anything and everything and anyone, God, that we would seek you first to know you, to live for you, that, Father, we would put our past behind. We would call the blood of Jesus to forgive us, to remove all of that, that, Lord, we would only look forward and, and walk into you. Father, for the marriages here uh, that are, are represented in this room or are online, God, I pray for them. I pray for the brokenness. I pray for hurt. I pray for healing. I pray for hope that, that would move forward, God. And for those that, that would one day enter into marriage, I pray that even now they would begin to prepare themselves for that person that you would bring into their life, Lord. God, we love you and we trust you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.